Here we go, here we go again. Episode 122 of The Brian Oak Show from the Smart Start MN studio in South Minneapolis. Yes, historic, yes, beautiful, yes, relatively mild for early January. All in all, things aren't bad other than the attempted armed insurrection of our central government oh. and open sedition. It's fine. Every, everything's fine. Woke up this morning. It's finally been ratified that we have a new president despite literally... Armed cosplayers, LARPers. You're familiar with LARPing? Live oh, action role playing? I used to do a lot of LARP- LARPing. Back it, don't day. share that story ever again. Um, <laughs> the, the LARPers who literally broke in to the central seat of government unimpeded. The black budget for American defense is over $500 billion every year. Yet we couldn't stop Silly Joe with his horned shaman helmet. Out in the from Arizona, or wherever the hell he's from, he calls himself the QAnon shaman. Hmm. We couldn't stop him from sitting on the central dais on the Senate floor. What in the actual fuck, Sean? I don't know. First of all, I have a problem with that he self-appointed that you know title. You want to be granted that title from somebody else? Well, they clearly have no respect for the democratic <laughs> process. So why would they wait to be oh wait God. to be given that title when in fact it was granted by a h- higher power? Which apparently was like a giant popsicle from space or something. It, yesterday, so how how is your how is your cosplay coup going so far? Pretty oh good? my lord! I just I was so sick to my stomach and and no, I, I it wasn't like I was shocked that something like this would happen. In fact, when they were setting up, I'm like, this is probably not going to end well. But did I think that it would go to the level of people breaking into? Our nation's capital building. I'm not. I, I was actually. I was about to say something that was a bold faced lie. Uh, I was about to say I'm not really a big conspiracy guy. I am, but even without being a big conspiracy guy, does it seem at all conspicuous that a, a giant? They were marching for blocks. They knew they were coming. That they could get close enough to the Capitol, break in work their way all the way inside, dance around, prance around, live stream it, Instagram it, and then, instead of being arrested or shot on sight, escorted from the building and allowed to walk free after it. It is so fucking conspicuous that it is, you know, I'm someone who, even though I didn't really intend to, has benefited from white privilege my entire life. This was the most egregious example of white privilege that I've seen in my 52 years of being alive here on planet Earth. If that was a Black Lives Matter protest, oh, it would have been there would mass have carnage, blood in the streets. Yes, it would. It would have been impossibly terrible. Somehow this was allowed to happen. Now, even if let's say it was actually Antifa, which some people are trying to put forward right now as a possible theory. Bullshit. Oh, of course it's bullshit. But let's even say it was just for the sake of argument. If it were. There would have been a much better armed presence because our commander in chief, a man legitimately elected to the highest office in the land, has spent four years encouraging this. Well, you know what I mean by legitimate. He no, we, I know. If I we're going to respect the process on this end, we got to respect yeah, I, how it went down the other time. I get it. We even have to. We've proven that. I understand. I right, understand. Right, but legit, again, for the sake of argument, even let's say it were Antifa, there would still have been a ridiculous armed. Why? Weren't there more than just a skeleton 
crew of White House officers or Capitol officers on hand when they knew it was coming? Well, I I think that there there were some of them that were probably okay that it was happening, as sick as that sounds. The, the best post that I saw that really hit home for me was Mary Bue. Uh, she said, this is what it's like trying to get an abuser out of the house. The worst part is trying to get the abuser out of yes. the house. Exactly. Y- yes. And, but this is it. And it's like, so, so unfortunately I saw some of this in my childhood and to the point where uh, I'll just admit it. My mother was abused by a boyfriend. Police came and they're like, your mom's crazy. And this is what it's like. He, he had some of those security people that were on his side. Uh, he has convinced idiots that this stuff is really going on. You know, and you want to be on the right side of history, I'm sure he's whispered. Like, yes. when we take over, when the coup succeeds, there'll be a special place for you. You'll be one of my junta lieutenants. I gave credit to the conservative people that I know, to the congressmen and women who are conservatives who actually stepped up and said, enough is enough. Still not okay, but better than the opposite. But for the folks like Ted Cruz and Holly and people like that, go fuck yourselves. Fuck off. Yeah. Today, today, so I left my pillow in lacrosse. That's a very traumatic story. Much more important than this fucking story about the... I left my wonderful, wonderful democracy. pillow in lacrosse. Uh-huh. There's, there's a point here somewhere. Fucking bet. I go to Bed Bath and Beyond because it's the law. That's where you go get a new pillow. Fucking guy walks in with a mega hat on today. Today. And I said to my wife, the day after attempted yes, arm insurrection. I said I was this close, and I'm holding up my my hands like I've caught a small fish. Um. I was this close to looking at the guy and say, you treasonous traitor motherfucker. My wife goes, I'm really glad you didn't say that, honey. It probably would have gone poorly, but although the thought of an ideological, philosophical grappling of two grown adults over truly important issues inside of a Bed Bath & Beyond... <laughs> That's not how I want to go down. There, but it's got to be someplace cooler than that. There, there, I don't know, but what, like a Yankee candle? Yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> At least patina or something like that. The funniest thing I saw come out of yesterday, uh, because you have to look for bright points in the darkness, right? I mean, yes. much like Mr. Rogers said, when there are great tragedies, always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. So yesterday, Twitter was, oh my God. Like I don't really go to Twitter very often anymore, but I knew Twitter was going to be exciting oh, yeah. yesterday. And a buzz. And most of it, you know, a lot of this and that and the extremes and all the predictable stuff, but there were people who were able to find these beautiful, humorous points of light that I, I, at the darkest hour, I will never stop laughing because once you've lost your sense of humor, then truly all is lost. But like The Onion publishing the article of Serbia sends peacekeeping troops to the U.S. I mean, it's <laughs> fucking brilliant. But then that main guy who had the fur hat on with the oh, horns yeah. off the yeah, side, yeah, yeah. who calls himself the QAnon yes. shaman. Yes. So I don't know if you're familiar with the largely 90s dance-oriented band Jamiroquai, oh, fronted yeah. by JK. Virtual insanity. Precisely. So Jamiroquai, their their main symbol was this little guy with oh, his head no. tilted to the side wearing the fuzzy hat <laughs> no, and the horns. No. So JK is trending on Twitter. Jamiroquai is trending. Oh, All no. these amazing memes popped up talking about this is what happens when you order Jamiroquai from the <laughs> Wish app. I just, it, oh, no. It, it, there, so there were bright moments. Luckily... 
you know, again, when I say only one person died, it's still an impossible travesty and an impossible crime. Four people died. One was shot. Uh, three other people died from other medical emergencies. I was not aware of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing there were people who I hate to, I'm not laughing at this. Yes, I am. But that must have had like heart attacks or fallen off some of the buildings that were scaling. But did you see the video I shared right of the woman who was openly weeping in the street because when she tried to rush the Capitol building, she was maced in the face? Oh, that's She's a, like, they pushed me to the ground and they maced me. That's You're a day honestly <laughs> practicing open sedition. And the guy, so the guy who's interviewing her and taping goes, well, what, what were you trying to do? And she looked at him like he was an idiot. She's like, we're storming the Capitol. It's a revolution. <laughs> no macing. Seriously. And you got maced in the face and snowflakes. Anyway, I'm done. I'm done with all that. So uh, the good news is, is that we got through it and the system has held. However, briefly, uh, there will be people whose names will be remembered, but everything's been verified. We're moving forward. Let's hope for bigger stimulus checks. Let's also look forward to talking to today's guest, a longtime staple of the Twin Cities music scene. And uh, I'm excited to talk to him and dig a little deeper because he's been making music for a very long time. And of course, he is too humble to pick his own music to play on the show. So I am going to help get us into talking to today's guest, Aaron Seymour, by going back to my first introduction to him and his music, even though he'd been doing music before and has been doing music ever since. Minnesota band from the 90s called The Delilahs. Now, I saw The Delilahs once, and in the 90s, if you remember, Sean, striped T-shirts, very cool. Oh, yeah. Horizontal stripes, okay? Because back then, we were all skinny enough to wear horizontal (laughs) stripes. That's not something I can do anymore. I don't know about you. Oh, come on. Okay, sorry about that. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, The Delilahs, I saw them live a couple times. I believe at the 400 bar was the first time I saw them. Is that possible, Aaron? Yeah, it's quite possible. Okay. Quite likely. Very likely. And then, um, but I didn't know a ton about them, but the 90s were a very exciting time for me musically. You know, people will look back at Minnesota and Minneapolis specifically in the 80s and say, that was the ground zero and it certainly was but there's really never been a bad era for minnesota music and minneapolis music and twin cities music and in the 90s i was discovering all this cool stuff and i love power pop i've always loved Mm -hmm. power pop in fact our guest today wore a cheap trick mask into the studio the smart start mn studio (laughs) so i know he's always felt the same way and i liked a lot of their songs but this one do you remember burning CDs? Do you remember like oh, when yeah. CDs were still a thing? Now, my current laptop won't play a CD. There's not a CD player in my current vehicle. That shit is over. But that would, to me, the, the next era of making a mixtape, and it was so much easier than burning a CD. Yeah. More than half of the CD mixes I ever made contained this song right here. I love this song. It's in my top 10 Minnesota music songs of all time. Wow. Uh, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass because you're here because you know i've told you that before i love this song so much from every angle i like the words i like the energy i like the playing i like the production i absolutely love it so we'll talk to aaron seymour just ahead but first from his band the delilah's beats the hell out of me on the brian oak show Thank you. 
Minnesota music from the 90s, the Delilahs beats the hell out of me. Before we get to the mention of our first sponsor, our primary sponsor, our title sponsor, Smart Start MN, Aaron, you're here. And before I do your proper introduction, I would like to know, where did that song come from, other than feeling like a loser? Well. Or was that pretty much it? That was pretty much it. No, no, honestly, at the time, uh, my main songwriting partner was my friend Doug Eulen, and we weren't really even entertaining the idea of being in a band quite yet, you know, just writing songs for fun. And, uh, you know, he, he, he'd throw out lines that he had thought of that he thought would be good for songs. And, and he had, it was more than that. He was giving lots of great guitar parts for me to try to come up with, you know, vocal parts for, but, and he, he's like, I just been thinking about, uh, this line beats the hell out of me. He thought it was funny or whatever. And I thought it was funny, but then I thought, yeah, maybe, you know, and this, this is one of the things I like to do. Take something that's supposed to be funny or, trite and and write something serious about it maybe hide the serious part of it as much as i can get away with and uh so yeah it was it was him saying yeah beats the hell out of me and kind of laughing about it and saying how about make a song about that and so then i took his line and did the rest of it you know i one of my favorite vectors to the heart of music is melancholy pop and that one on the surface, doesn't sound melancholy if no one's paying attention to the words. <clears throat> but obviously, there's not, you know, there's there's a lot of questioning and there's a lot of doubt <laughs> in the heart of that song. And um, I don't know, just the guitar hooks, the vocal hooks, it's always been one of my very, very favorites. So I'm excited to talk to you. We'll talk to Aaron in just a second. But first, Sean, we have business to tend to. You're right. The good people at Smart Start MN. Let's say that you or someone that's important to you has a DUI and you've lost your right to drive. Oof, it's expensive, it's difficult, it is an uphill slog, but it can be slightly less less uphill and move along a little more quickly and cost you less than you otherwise might imagine with the good folks at Smart Start MN. Yeah, go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. They'll give you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock system. Man, that's a mouthful. It is a mouthful, but more important, well, in in two ways, actually, both literally and figuratively, because you have to blow into the little breathalyzer thing right there. But it's worth your while to contact them. I know that many of us are not even leaving the house. You're like, drink and drive. I drink and couch, which is fine, and that's totally legal. But uh, there are still people making bad mistakes. And when you run out of liquor at home, oh, that's when it happens. Oh, people go, hey. Oh, I'm, I'm almost drunk enough. <laughs> I better go get some more. A, don't do it. It's deliverable. But B, if you do make a bad decision, and it sounds like, by the way, little uh, birdie told me, which actually leaked all over social media, come Monday, restaurants and bars are reopening. They are to 50% capacity, which is at least better than nothing but hopefully that they'll begin to kind of get back to their regular business again someday soon. So please jot down now, smartstartmn.com. Com. I, slash the Brian like, Oak Show. I was like, dot org? I'm like, no, I don't dot believe net, they're a nonprofit. Dot TV, yeah. oh. dot, no. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Brian Oak Show, episode 122. Aaron Seymour. Aaron Seymour has been playing music for a very long time in the Twin Cities. In the 80s, he was part of a band that I'm going to forget here. I'm going to remember the Widgets. How could I forget the Widgets? A lot of people do. Surprise. Okay, well, <laughs> it was a minute ago. It was or a half. minute ago. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, but the Delilahs, you've also been an X-Ray Hip, uh, Petty Demons, and you've got a new project right now, Bubbles. Is that the name? Bubbles, yeah. I'm kind of just a guest in Bubbles. I was a last second edition, but it's kind of a uh, a, a collaboration of uh, Becky Capel and my good friend Craig Tykin and my good friend Edie 
Ray, Edie mm-hmm. Ray Baumgart, um, and Rich Matson up north at uh, Sparta Sound. Um, and uh, yeah, so we we they were making a record, and uh, an, another friend of mine, Doug Collins, was supposed to be the oh. e- extra guy. Just such a great guy, great songwriter, super funny. Love Doug. Yeah, and uh, his mom became really ill down in Iowa, so he had to beg mm-hmm. off the project. And Craig asked me if you know he and I had written this one song. Um, you know, recently before that and said, do you want to come up to Sparta and record that song and maybe do some more singing? And I said, sure. You know, that I'd always want to go up to Sparta sound and the iron range with Rich Matson. And so I did that and, uh, I think it turned out pretty well and, and, and Becky Capel's songs turned out great. And so it's kind of half covers, half originals. Um, I sang that song that, uh, Nielsen made famous, the everybody's talking song, um, mm-hmm. written by, uh, Fred Neal actually. But, um, and yeah, and so that kind of has become a little bit of a band. Uh, also had this band going recently called White Sweater, mm-hmm. which is really just uh, <laughs> kind of a Aaron Seymour's greatest hits kind of band, like where I sing songs from the Widgets and the X-Ray Hip and the Delilahs and Petty Demons and I'd do it acoustically or, or semi-acoustically anyway. And it gives me a chance to kind of try to sing pretty as opposed to scream over you know, drums and electric guitars and, you know, stuff Which like I imagine that. as a singer, because my wife is a singer. You know my wife well. Yeah. I know you do. Um, you know, it, it's fun to rock. Mm-hmm. It's super fun to rock. But also as someone who's trying to treat the vocals as an actual instrument and also trying to communicate something, when the amps keep going up and the levels keep going up, that can be exhausting. Yeah. I mean, you said it exactly right. And and also a big part of singing, and I'm sure your wife has talked about this, but is being able to hear you know, yourself. And, mm-hmm. and, and for me, uh, the mistake I make when I can't hear myself is just to push harder um, oh. to try to hear the pitch because I don't, I don't want to just trust that the pitch is right if I can't hear it. So I end up shredding my throat and not sounding like myself at all. And in fact, I fell into that trap for a long time for a while. So anything I can do to avoid that um, <laughs> is what I do. You know? Screw guitar players, am I right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Yeah, those guys. Yeah. And sometimes it's the drummer that's just way over the top. <laughs> well, you know, drums are the reason that the guitar players tune, turn up. And, I know, and, and, I know, and then, I know. And then, no, all you those know. guys, it's it, because they all have little tiny you know, units. Yeah, ideas. Little tiny ideas. Thank you, thank you. And so they keep turning up because they're like, well, everyone needs to see what I'm capable of. And then the poor <laughs> singer, even though you're up poor front pulling singer. shapes... It's impossible to hear yourself or to to properly execute your craft. It's true. It's true. It's tough. I mean, I my hat is off to anybody who can do it somehow without really hearing themselves that well. But yeah, just like Aaron said earlier, screw guitar players. <laughs> Those guys are the worst. Um, that was his so last be, gig. <laughs> before before we talk about your other bands and more about Bubbles, um, where are you from? Where were you born? Uh, I was born in St. Paul, I'm told, for my birth certificate. I was actually adopted when I was about two, and I don't remember much before that, but I, I think I was tossed around a little bit before before that. Uh, so I was born in St. Paul and did the most of my growing up in Robbinsdale, but my family actually moved quite a bit um, before and after that, too. Tell me one cool thing about Robbinsdale is I have never actually, be, that I'm aware of, been inside the city proper Tell me something cool about Robbinsdale. Uh, oh, there's so much, Brian. Uh, <laughs> just one. Just one. Uh, one. It, how can I pick one? Uh, Hack and Mueller Meats. Yes. Uh, Perfect. Uh, great, great butcher shop if uh, if you like to eat animals like I do. and uh, mm, They're delicious. Yeah. <laughs> As my friend Jeff said, if God didn't want us to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of delicious meat. 
Yeah. He's, you, know, <laughs> that, you can't argue with that. Yeah. I mean, you can try, but. There's a science there. Yeah. So you grew up in Robbinsdale. When's the first time you, as a singer, I mean, are we, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I started in the church choir, or oh, I sang into a hairbrush in the bathroom, or when did you decide I am a front man? Boy, I don't know when I decide. I, I mean, I did sing into a hairbrush, into the mirror for sure. And also the... Uh, like what kind of songs? Like Elton John? Like... Uh... Some of that. It was a really uh, like the Bee Gees early on. And actually mm. be- before that was like the Monkees, which kind of led to the Beatles. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just loved that pop melody stuff so much. And and my brother and my sisters and I would pretend to be the Monkees in our basement, like a pool cue Okay, for I, have a guitar. Stop, I have to stop you for one second because the very first album <clears throat> my parents ever bought me was the Monkees' Greatest Hits with the orange background, the green floor. They're in the velour shirts. They're all kind of laying there. When, so I, but we did the same thing. Me and three of my friends played the Monkees and put that record on. Who were you and the Monkees? Um, well, uh, Mike Nesmith, you know. Although I liked singing the songs that the other guys sang. I, yeah. uh, um. <laughs> I was always Mickey Dolan's. I, I refused yeah. to be anybody but Mickey. But later in life, I came to realize that M- Mike Nesmith was more than just a stocking cap. Yeah, yeah. His 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 <laughs> solo stuff and the stuff with, uh, um, you, know, you know, I mean, his songwriting is is, is pretty amazing. But right. the songs I love was, was, uh, from the Monkees were, were not his necessarily at the time. Right. It certainly grew on me, but I could never pull off being the cool front man. I mean, even when I was a front man, even when I still get up there, I can never sell uh, myself as the front man singer. It's always the, the dorky, you know, the, the, I don't know, the odd personality guy I can kind of pull off. I can't really pull off that, you know, glamorous uh, front and center rock star guy. Maybe you just need the right hair and makeup people. Yeah, the right hair. Okay. And the right hair and makeup, people. Yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time, I had good hair. If you could find any old widgets pictures, my hair was pretty sweet then. Okay, but. so let's let's go ahead and do that. Let's start talking about your your going from the monkeys and singing into a hairbrush and finding that early stuff. How do the widgets start? How do you first become like, okay, let's do this. Let's be a band. Well, uh, I was at the U of M living in Middlebrook Hall in my freshman year, fall of 84. And, uh, well, if I... <laughs> If we want to fill time, I can really get to the details. But no, I was. Uh, <laughs> we don't have to go quite that deep. Aaron. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, a little backstory just to color the picture. But um, first week in the fall of 1984, um, you know, a nervous, you know, guy just moved into the dorm. Don't necessarily hit it off with a roommate that I've been assigned, but and then I'm here. All, all the music, all the music that I'm hearing in the hallway and outside is either like the first Madonna album. Um, you know, which is fine, and 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 Prince's Purple Rain, which is fine, and Born in the USA, which is fine, and nineteen eighty four, yeah. Um, but then I hear, uh, you know, the psychedelic furs coming from somebody's room down the hall, and so Love I, them. um, I, I, I thought, I told myself, I'm going to stop being shy and nervous here. I'm going to walk into whoever's room that is, and and introduce myself because there's a kindred spirit of mine or whatever. And uh, so I walked into the room and. Uh, there were two guys there. One of them was a guy I went to high school with who I had no idea was there or anything like that. But that probably helped because he he was someone who was a friend of mine from high school and he was talking to this other guy, Tom Henderson, uh, you know, who I got to know, you know, very quickly. Uh, and he'd been, uh, he'd gone to Wyzetta High School and uh, he had a friend a year older, Ed O'Gara, who also went to Wyzetta High School. And uh, we met a guy, um, eventually Mark Larson, who had gone to Orono. And these guys were really into music and you know tom's like hey i play drums and ed's like i play guitar and i'm like i like to sing let's you know let's make a band or whatever and we're at the age where that seems 
like a thing that you could do or like that someone could do. Um, and you know, there was the replacements were around, which were sort seemed like kind of an example of guys who could throw together something and, you know, maybe not be super tight, but be a great band. And even you two were, who were, were a tight band already by then, but the story of them being, you know, sort of learning to play as they grew into it together. They were that. literally kids when they started. Yeah. And played in Larry Mullen Jr.'s kitchen. Where did you play? So you're all going to the U. I mean, so you're going to get together and play. Do you play in the dorm? Where, where do you guys rehearse? So uh, Ed O'Gara um, was uh, living in a rental in a house. Well, uh, the upstairs of a house that at the time, the downstairs was Nathan's Restaurant in Uptown at 28th and mm. Hennepin. Mm-hmm. And it's... It became like Uncommon Grounds Coffee Shop or something like that. But there was living space above there. And it may have even been torn down. I don't know. But they, they lived there. So it was like a house. And uh, so guys brought their amps over over there. And Tom set his drums up there. And we, we were able to play and practice there. I think we were asked to turn down and stop <laughs> sometimes. But, uh, but that's where it started, yeah. But I mean, that's so when you're that young and when you're just getting started and, you know, even before the first gig out somewhere that could be considered legitimate, that's electric, man. That's the stuff of life right there. Right. Uh, I mean, that's that's irreproducible. That that's a moment that will always exist. And even if it didn't go the right direction or even if it didn't produce the desired fruit, it's there's no there's no mistake there. That's that's magic. That's being alive right there. And and that it. Yeah, you're right. That's the way it felt, too. Electric guitars going through amps and, you know, having a microphone to sing into that's amplified, maybe turning up the echo and <laughs> yeah. and reverb on it to uh-huh. sound a little more, uh, a little less mortal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, a little less mortal. The Aaron Seymour story. Let's go ahead and hear a song. This artist that you picked first, I always make sure the guests pick music when they come in because, to me, that's the most fascinating thing. Even if you create your own music, I like to know what makes people tick. I like to know, because I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer, right? right. I just like to know we all all share that passion those feelings and you chose a song by a guy who was not so long ago a guest right here on this particular podcast and i've known for a very long time and he's a wonderful human being and for anybody who slept on this latest record uh you slept on the wrong record because it's a great record all the way through why'd you pick this one well uh for some of the reasons that you just mentioned i mean uh matt wilson is one of my i mean not just in minnesota but just in in my life one of my favorite songwriters and and this record that he made this year uh, called When I Was a Writer. Um, I heard the title track a couple years earlier because he sang it at the New Standards Holiday Show, and it stuck with me. I like I, I almost memorized it just from hearing it from the audience, and, and I loved it. Um, and then, you know, they record He put together this orchestra with unique uh, instrumentation and a, a big, great new batch of songs. And this particular song is just one that's been grabbing me lately off that record. And, uh, and honestly, if... Uh, to, to say more about why I love it is I, I think one thing that Matt is so good at is um, writing a song that sounds like it's about something simple or about one, you know, sort of plain situation or memory or whatever. And um, as a listener, I find, I, I find myself peeling away layers and saying, oh, he's really talking about this or, or, you know, what she stole isn't these clothes in this song it's his heart and he's calling and he's saying that she's a petty thief so he's saying my heart doesn't matter but and i'm blowing it off but clearly mm. it matters a lot to him uh, and i don't know if that's really what he meant but that's what it means to me when i listen to it and uh and so i, I just love the song
could fall to grief Why did you have to be a petty thief? It always made me shiver, made me shake Always made me wonder what you Me and my crappy timing. I have a cookie in my mouth. A dry, stale cookie at that. Is this and a I- poem? <laughs> <laughs> a dry, stale cookie by Brian O'Brien. Mm. But we need some sort of plaintive, boring folk music in the background so I can be like Rod McEwen. <laughs> no, that was gorgeous. And oh. I remember having given that record a very cursory listen when it first happened last March, right? Just under a year ago, and then realizing Matt was going to be on the show, so I thought I should dig a little deeper on this, because Matt's one of those guys who goes quiet for a long time, and then all of a sudden comes back, and you're like, why isn't he putting out records every six months? Because he's surrounded himself by wonderful people from Matt Wilson's orchestra, and that album, When I Was a Writer, which, by the way, that title is so ironic, because whether we're talking about 
his time in Trip Shakespeare or anywhere in between up until now, he's never not been anything but an exceptional writer. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. It's just beautifully orchestrated. And John Fields, who I've learned, he's like Obi-Wan Kenobi, isn't he? He John is. He's, he's, a, he's amazing. Uh, the two Delilah's records, uh, he and John Munson produced for us back in the 90s, and, and Fields at the time was you know, 24 or something like that <laughs> and kind of getting started. But he already had all these great ideas and knew what he was doing so well. And, you know, for me, the, the having him and or John Munson like sort of coaching me when I was going to do my vocals was, it was just a treat and a, and a, you know, a lesson, but just also just a, a fun ride. Was there ever, and I want you to be honest now, because your reverence for both of them is evident and obvious, and no one will ever call that into question, and I'm certain that neither of them will ever listen to my podcast. <laughs> Was there ever a time you ever wanted to tell either of them to step the fuck back, because I got this right here, okay? <laughs> I don't need any more of your fucking advice, because, I mean, that's part of being a producer, right? I mean, producers come in and they have ideas, but it doesn't mean, as an artist, you automatically capitulate. And I'm not asking you to spill any tea. I'm just wondering, was there any point where you're like... Yeah, okay, thanks. I appreciate that. I got this. <laughs> you know, with those two, no. Uh, I mean, w- one of the things that makes uh, both of those guys great is they're not trying to to get me to do it their way. They're trying to see what might be cool about, you know, what I'm doing. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 they, and if they do suggest something, I trust them because they've, they've listened to it. And, and, and I, know, I know that they like it. And, I, and they've sort of explained in one way or another, uh, maybe not in so many words, you know, that they like it. And so I, 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 there's some trust that comes from that. And, and, and then, Oh, you know, over time I learned how smart they were and, and how creative that they are. And, and so, uh, with, with them, no, other people sometimes have tried to, you know, actually bandmates or something, trying Mm -hmm. to tell me to sing something different or change a phrase. And, And sometimes they're right, but there are times too, when I've thought, uh, you know, man, I, I beat it, nerd. Yeah, I, 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 I know what I'm trying to do here, but, but yeah, John and John, no, they, not them. You are such an ass kisser. It's unbelievable, yeah, Aaron. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, get, but but, you, get but that you're, thing also, over here. you're also one of the, you're also one of the kindest and gentlest and most reasonable people I've ever met. Speaking about our lives that's in this a gr- modern, that's world, a great observation. What's that? I just wanted that. <laughs> you, I'm available as a press yeah, secretary. The, I really, I've got, I've got some free time. Uh, Aaron Seymour is our guest, and Aaron, you, I know, in the words of Mark Knopfler, you've got a daytime job. You're doing all right. Uh, yeah. Uh, but also, I know that music is. An intrinsic part of who you are you've been doing it for a very long time and we live in sort of the non-live music era you know it's difficult sometimes people will still get together and record things and do things i know that you've had a project you're working on but not getting out and doing so actually here's the question i want to ask you talked about how you've never been like the cool front guy the glammy explodo front man you know you like to you prefer to sort of defer to i like to sing but we're a band and that sort of thing so given your approach to who you are on stage do you miss live performance i i do i do i i I maybe am not like the people who miss it so much right now because of the pandemic i mean i went I went nine years, almost 10 years at one point without doing it um, and thought that I was done doing it um, before I kind of realized, hey, you know, I guess I am a lifer after all, um, uh, even with a daytime job or whatever. But I, I you know, I, I realized that I miss it, uh, not when I'm missing it, but when I do it and I feel what I get mm. from it, like the day, you know, the after the show or the morning after, 
Um, like, why am I walking around with this spring in my step? Why do I so feel so alive uh, suddenly? And it's, you know, it's a quick answer. Like, I, I got to perform last night. I got to sing last night. I got to, you know, um, you know, in front of an audience helps. I don't know why. I don't really feel like that much of a, of a performer, but it does, you know, there is something about sharing it. And then, it, you know, the, the, I don't know, the, the bond or the, just the back and forth of uh, singing to an audience and, and with friends on stage, but, you know, sharing that, that moment. I love, I love those moments, but I don't, I don't know if I miss them un, until I realize how much I must have been missing them once I, once I feel the, you know, the energy and the joy that I get from doing it. Sean and I talk about this on the podcast regularly. There's a feedback loop, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I'm, uh, you know, I've been on stage a couple times to do announcements, things like that. It's not like being a performer. Sean has been on both sides of that equation as a performer and as a fan. But, you know, everybody's a little hungry right now, right? Both performers and and music fans. Like, I, it's one thing to watch somebody on my small screen right here and watch them do a live feed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go and I'm going to buy the ticket because I want to support that artist. It's not the same thing of being there, sweating, paying too much for drinks, and being jostled around, but also feeling alive and the rest of all the bullshit on planet Earth melts away for an hour and a half. And there's nothing like it. And so I miss it a great deal. I'm, a, I'm worried that I'm a, becoming a accustomed to not having that be a routine part of my life because even though i was getting up early and i've gotten older and sadder and a little less inspired to get out and do that stuff it still was a regular very routine part of my existence so i do miss it very much and i'm looking forward to getting back to it but none too soon so tell me about actually before you tell me about bubbles because i want to know about the most recent thing you've been working on and that and you told me a little bit about that collaboration but i want to know about how it actually came to be i want to know about what it was like to construct something in the age of covid let's hear this song right here because this band is since well really about the same time i found out about the delilah's one of my favorites because it's sort of deconstructed left field pop music but consistently brilliant across i believe robert pollard sometime a few years ago completed his 100th lp (laughs) whether it be guided by voices or one of his many side projects or solo efforts the guy i'm gonna be honest he would benefit from an editor he really i mean you know if you took like five of those records and boiled them down to the best 12 songs landmark classic milestone but again who am i to tell an artist how to express their vision Robert Pollard wakes up, starts recording everything he does, including making breakfast and going to the bathroom, and then releases most of it sometime before the end of the month. I mean, but, but I genuinely do love Robert Pollard and the many iterations of his band, Guided by Voices, that have existed over the years. Yeah, me too. I, I and I, I, I would agree completely with the uh, he could benefit from an editor because I, I feel like I feel like maybe it's you know. Maybe it's even a full ten percent uh, or twenty percent of, of what he's put out that I, I just just grabs me, and more of it as as, uh, as as time goes on and I listen to it again. But some of it's you know sort of noise. It's not right up my alley necessarily, but or it doesn't sound finished. Like he'll start out with this killer opening verse and a great chorus, and then clearly he hadn't really like ah, we'll wrap this one up in a minute nineteen <laughs> seconds. Yeah, you know yeah. which I, I, I just like. Give it a little more time, bro. Let it percolate. But he's already moved on to the next yeah. destination. Yep, you're right. I, I but I do sometimes appreciate that minute and nineteen second song. And and you know from from everyone, I like I think of some people. Everybody's trying to make their song be four minutes or something. It's like you know two and a half minutes is is a great length for that song. You know the band, I, the laws. Uh, there she goes. Like to me, that's an example of 
that's all we needed. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's a, uh, I love that song and it's just quick hitting. And yep. that song was so good. It crushed his brain and he never came back and never made another record. <laughs> Way to go, you Mr. Know, I, Negative. I'd always rather, <laughs> I'd always rather make a song that somebody wants to hit rewind right away and, and listen to again, yep. as opposed to wants to hit fast forward because it's gotten a little long for them. Allison by uh, Elvis Costello. Oh, That's like two minutes and 33 or something like that. And just, and a lot of the early Beatles songs, you know, Two and a half minutes, mm-hmm. and, yep. and and they're complete. They're 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 complete as is. Allison is certainly complete in my mm-hmm. mind. You know. Have you seen Guided by Voices live? I have not. So I've seen them live three or four times. A couple times in the nineties, and not again until the twenty teens. And um, turns out Bob Pollard, even though he has grayed up top, you know, significantly whiter hair, still the same goofy avant pop star. He's like. Jonathan Richmond, except listenable and enjoyable. <laughs> Sorry, was that out loud? Um, he, just because he's so iconoclastic. There's nobody else like him. But one of the consistencies over those many decades of music he's been creating brings out a cooler, sits next to him on stage, chock full of light beer, and him and his bandmates just popping cans of light beer for 90 minutes and again no one's getting crappy you know i mean like it's not like a gg allen show but it's still he just and and non-stop pop hits all the way through it but when people hear pop hits if they don't know gbv they're thinking i'm talking about britney spears no i'm talking about that power pop those hooky things mm-hmm. and it's just i'm i'm a gigantic fan of this band so why did you pick this one in particular well uh it's a song that starting a few years ago I heard it again for the first time in a while, and and it just grabbed me that day. And uh, and then sometime about a month after that, I I heard that Glenn Campbell had recorded a version of it, and and it was a pretty a pretty straight uh, you know cover of the song, but it's it was beautiful and moving. Like thinking of uh, Glenn Campbell going through the disease that he was suffering from at the time, um, and and I and it it struck me how universal the song is that a country, you know. Uh, an aging country star like could feel it the same way that I do as a listener and wanted to sing it. And then, you know, I hear it and I want to sing along with it too. And it's, uh, and, and then again, right now, the, the hope of, uh, you know, we're going, we've been going through a hard time here, like not just for 10 months, but for four years and, and, and all of us at different times go through hard times. And it just seems to be one of those songs that, uh, the images, I don't know what they mean to him, but I, that, I, I get pictures in my mind of what they mean to me. And, uh, and, and just that underlying, uh, feeling of no matter how mysterious and weird this all seems, uh, you just got to hold on and, and, and (laughs) you just, that's all you have sometimes. And, and so you just do it.
Guided by voices, hold on hope. Man, there were a lot of people clinging by a thread yesterday. <clears throat> yesterday was a weird day. Agreed, Aaron? Uh, agreed, yeah. I was I, pretty freaked out, honestly. Yeah, so was I. Well, I mean, it's already been hard. We're all suffering from COVID fatigue. We're all tired of lockdown. We're tired of this new way of life and the sort of constant black cloud that's existed for years. And... Then yesterday seemed like the culmination of it. What I see on Twitter, somebody wrote, well, that escalated steadily over four years. You know, I mean, which it has. Nobody can pretend to be surprised about what happened yesterday when it's openly encouraged by the highest office holder in the land. So luckily we made it through the night. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the system still is holding for now, but it's a day-by-day situation, right? And the next administration has been ratified and verified by the appropriate bodies of law. And I do want to say real quick, uh, even though we're holding on hope and trying to maintain whatever positivity we can and focus on whatever light we're able to glean through the darkness A lot of the people who have been toadies and capitulated to that orange monster for the last four years, who at the last minute are saying, this violence is untenable. This hatred (laughs) will not be accepted. We need to pray for our nation. You fucking did this. Fuck you. Even Mitt Romney, who sounded like one of the most reasonable people on the planet last night when he was speaking on the floor of the Senate. Fuck you. Okay. (laughs) No way. You don't. You. you, And I understand that's the nature of politics. I understand what a politician is and what a politician does. And there are many people on the left who are just as guilty of playing the exact same game. Still, fuck you. That is not the way this game works. You will be remembered and you will not be forgiven for the untold damage that you've done. And the last minute turnabout... Growing up Catholic, it's like that thing where, like, you can be the worst monster your whole life, but as long as you accept the Lord on your deathbed, still get to go to heaven. Pretty sweet. Dennis Miller did a show called Black and White in 1991, back when he was funny. And <laughs> he that was said, a minute ago. He said these boarding ends. He goes, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, hey, taxi, <laughs> get me away from these people who think that they can shit all, every, all, all over everybody their entire lives, and then one day... Everything's fine. Oh, I'm not going to actually make amends. You know? loophole. You know, just, I got a loophole. You just, it, it's nice <laughs> to have, you know. A golden oh. ticket. Back in the day, back in the Renaissance, when you could buy indulgences, like you hadn't even done the sinning yet, but if you had the gold pieces to give the church, they just write you out like a bunch of rain checks. Like, oh, well, that one. I'm, I'm not even sure that's that a sin anymore. Oh, yeah. thank goodness. Love having a hip pocket full of indulgences. <laughs> Sean Bernard is my friend, my coworker, my colleague, and producer of this fine show. Masseuse? No. Oh, we've talked about this okay. and the answer is still no. You can't touch him. <laughs> no, don't touch me. Don't. Okay. That one spot, my ankles. Right there? That's it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. that, oh, that All is right. nice. Oh. I like that. <laughs> anyway, you also are a sponsor of this show because you, in addition to all those other fine accolades I laid at your feet, you're a realtor for Edina Realty at the 50th and France location. I am. And it's one of those things that, uh, you know, a few years ago, somebody asked me, do I want to get into real estate? And I said, no, I don't. 
Uh, because here we are. Yeah. I felt like there was a million people in real estate and why would I want to do it? And I thought, well, wait a minute, you know, there's, you can say there's a lot of this and a lot of that, a lot of musicians out there. And I just said, well, I love to help people. I love to help them get through challenging times in their life. I've actually mentored 30 some people over the last eight years. And I like that. And I like helping people get unstuck. And so, you know, it's that time of the year right now where people are kind of thinking about, do I want to move this year? You know, and if that's on your mind or somebody you know that's on their mind, have them give me a call, 612-859-2594, and we'll walk through what your home is worth. I'll, I'll do the research, and we'll sit down and look at it, and maybe it makes sense to move this year, maybe it doesn't. But give me a call, 612-859-2594. We'll set something up. That number is also text-worthy. You, uh, you think that scruff on your face is helping anything? You know, it's not. Uh, my son, this was a razor, battle. Did your razor break? My my son, <laughs> my son is at that shaving age of 17, and he decided he's not going to shave for a while. Yeah? And you think this looks horrible? Are, are, oh, you're trying to teach him a lesson. No, he, ch- he challenged me. Oh, boy. And I said, I grow a horrible, thatchy, thatchy, awful beard. <laughs> and I said, but I will, I'll tell you what. He said, Dad, just grow it out for January only. So this is day 10, I believe, and it's just god-awful. Well, here's the deal. It's actually not god-awful. I just have never seen you go scruffy before. Oh, it's scruffy. And, uh, you know, it's way scruffy, like more so than usual. So I just, I kind of had to ask, but also take a little bit of a pot shot. No, I've seen shit beards. That will grow into something acceptable. I have friends who haven't shaved since the beginning of lockdown and I don't. I know they think they're like. I'm just gonna let everything go and see what's what. Couple of you, go ahead and find that razor. Go ahead yeah, and yeah, clean her up yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I was told I've never. I've never uh, had a time where I didn't shave over even like a two week period. Right. But I was told just after four weeks, if it looks terrible, shave it. If it looks okay, then you know. So four. I said to my son, I'll do it because it's kind of one of those. It's also that time of life where I'm not going to have this experience with him again when he goes off to college. So right. I thought. What the hell? I'm not seeing a lot of clients right now. <laughs> and if it's a challenge, when it's January, who yeah. cares, man? And his no. looks terrible. Of course it does. <laughs> Shitty. Of course you know, it does. Uh, who was the guy? I lost you again. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, I don't think I shaved when I was 17 yet. Or if I did, it was just because I wanted to. I didn't need to. Uh, I don't he's know. got the uh, he's got the bad uh, stash going a little bit and the bad chin the uh, yeah, yeah. shaggy well like where some parts where it's like it's like thick like almost like a Brillo pad and other parts where it's open like the savannah <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> and you know it's it's not a good look I always used to have scruff because I just was lazy and I hate shaving but every once every week week and a half I'd be like all right fine I just get it done and I so I would always have the scruff and then one time I just stopped and I was like. Yeah, I guess I can do a beard. The problem is I'm bad at beard maintenance. So I'll go through and I'll give it a little trim. But then all of a sudden one day, like down here on the neck, I'll find one that's like three inches long, like some sort of mad professor hair. And I'm like, oh, it's got to go. But I need to, we need more sponsors for this podcast because I need to hire someone to come over and trim my beard. I think that your masseuse could do it. I. What about a contest? We'll talk. (laughs) That's a great idea. What would the prize be? Well, no, getting to shave, getting to trim your beard is (laughs) the prize. That does sound like a hell of a prize. Aaron Seymour is our guest right here, our final segment. So, Aaron, you've been making music for a very long time, and you didn't for a while, but you had to get back to it. We're in an era where there's not a ton of live music right now. 
That doesn't seem to be crushing you and breaking your heart like it does some, but I imagine the day will come that you're going to be excited to get back up there and pull out your guitar or step behind a microphone, and you'll you'll enjoy it. I mean, you, you will once again get to drink from that trough of, you know, performer, performee that, that we all love so much. Yeah, for uh, absolutely. And, and you know, when you were talking after uh, I, I said that I wasn't really missing it that much, <laughs> um, mm. as a as a as a fan, I'm missing it more maybe than than I even am as a performer, you know, like because I do miss that. And I would love to go, um, you know, hear someone play, you know, stand around, uh, you know, some little, you know, watering hole in the neighborhood or or at First Avenue seeing some great band on that great stage and that great venue. Um, I do miss that a lot. And, Did, oh, my mic is screwed. Yeah, I don't know what's going on over there. Yeah, it's bad. Wait, it, it was back. I was going to ask you, did the Delilahs ever play Mill City Music Festival? I don't know if we did. We, uh, I think I saw you guys there, but then I didn't see you again until I saw you play with White Sweater at Driftwood Char Bar. At the Driftwood, yeah. yeah. After we became choir mates. Yes. <laughs> that's right. You guys were in a choir together. I'm sure that's a fascinating story. But instead, <laughs> what we're going to talk a about... Bunch of ankle rubbers. <laughs> oh. didn't see it coming ouch that's what she said (laughs) wow yes my joy so you know sometimes when you watch a video online there'll be a little thing of where all people watched and where they tuned out and there'll be these weird little spikes The last 30 seconds just gave me one of those delightful spikes, like halfway up through the screen. <laughs> but also there's a little pain in my ribs right now, and I laugh that hard. <laughs> Bunch of ankle rubbers. Oh, Thursday's suddenly a much better place to be. Before we let you go and hear your final song, I do want to hear about the latest project, Bubble. So you've mentioned how you sort of happened into it because someone else happened out of it. And you mentioned the players, everyone who I admire, most people who I know better than average. What was it like to make a record in the era of COVID? Well, honestly, we didn't. It was uh, it was December of 2019. Oh, it so was, it was before. Yeah, December like sixth and seventh, and we went up there. Uh, so we we didn't. Uh, or I'm planning. The time to, wasn't there yet. No, that it wasn't there yet. And then I actually went up to re-sing one little part, like right before COVID started. Uh, Rich had a kind of a hockey party uh, that he has every year with uh, Baby Grant Johnson and a bunch of a uh, bunch of his friends uh, from the Iron Range. And when you say hockey party, do you watch hockey or do you play hockey? You watch hockey. Okay, very um, good. And, and I didn't necessarily go there for the hockey party. I really wanted to re-sing this one part of the song that literally took a minute. Um, he's like, hey, I'm having a hockey party. You should come up for that. And, uh, and it was fun. Barbecued and stuff. And like the next week um, was COVID. You know, I mean, it was like the sort of, I didn't know it was the last hurrah. It was just something that was kind of on the news, uh, like like SARS had been and uh, some of the the other pandemics that didn't hit the u.s so hard but yeah it's weird right now with all the facebook memories popping up like it was just a year ago like still going out still seeing people like these facebook memories like hey from one year ago you were doing this thing and i'm like well that doesn't seem right i seem to be very close to people and no one's got a mask on (laughs) what the hell i mean it was less than a year ago before things like really the clamp came down so it's uh it's it's been an unusual year you holding up all right I'm holding up all right. And, you know, I think I may end up recording during COVID, depending on how long it goes here. Uh, so my friend Craig Tyken and I, with yes. X-Ray Hip and White Sweater, and mm-hmm. um, he uh, he and I have got, I guess it's like 10 or 11 songs together now, and uh, we're calling it Bleak and Grim, kind of as two guys' names. I'm Barry Bleak. 
Um, and uh, that's very Edward Gorey, you know, like the Gashly <laughs> Crumb Tinies. I mean, like bleak and grim. I kind of, I kind of dig it. It's very, it's got a little bit of a post-apocalyptic vibe to it. Yeah, we we uh, had a road trip with White Sweater, where some of us, it's the kind of band. As long as he and I can make the gig, we can do a gig. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, he and I and our friend Tim Francis, who plays bass and uh, a great musician in his own right, and his own record, uh, Stories of the West, came out last year. You should go hear it. But we're driving in Milwaukee, and we kept seeing these things, and like one of us would say, "Bleak." <laughs> and the other one would say grim <laughs> and then we just kind of kept doing it and so right. now the project i guess is going to be called bleak and grim and the songs are kind of bleak and grim so what will that be like like i mean the three of us are sitting in a studio right now and we are in probably closer proximity than is recommended but we wash this studio down we take all the necessary precautions is it basically like that when you decide to sit down and record will you do it in a living room will you do it in a studio i mean what is it like to make a record when we are not allowed to be around each other. We're still trying to figure that out. Like when Craig and I get together to work on songs and write them, which we kind of record them sometimes as we go, like on voice memo or something like that. Uh, we sit uh, in Edie's attic uh, with the window open at each end and a fan blowing at ourselves uh, so that my breath doesn't make it over to him. It just blows behind me out the window and his breath, you know, just blows behind him out the window. We were going to go up to, uh, record with rich at sparta um and it was actually going to be pretty soon now um, mid-january but rich had a you know he was starting to let some people back in the studio and he had a scary he had somebody in who had been exposed and, and decided to close it down again um you know his partner jermaine is uh, uh has a, con- a pre-existing condition and is a higher risk so uh they've shut down again for the time being but we were planning to do it and the, the plan was you know to stay only on the studio side and you know maybe get tested before and wear masks when when uh, it wasn't necessary to have them off and things like that. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're not sure when we're going to go in and, uh, we'd like to go up to Sparta whenever we can. Um, we might do a couple songs like a single or something down here, uh, in the meantime, but it'll, it'll be interesting. Everyone's got their comfort level and, you know, I've been pretty much a hermit during this time for the most part. Um, uh, so I don't know. It's going to be weird. It's, it is going to be weird. I don't know. It's uh, there's a lot of people who are like, I've been training for this my whole life and they're happy to be locked down and not going anywhere and not doing anything. I thought that was going to be me, but um, I start to go stir crazy after about two days. I really do. And it's not like I've got to be out there like, you know, writing the great American novel or doing anything of any import. Really. I just, I need to keep moving. I feel like a shark, like kind of a weak shark with dull teeth, but also like a shark. Like if I don't keep swimming, I'm going to die. And uh, you made me think of something there. Speaking of the great American novel, yeah. Uh, have you ever had Lori Lindine in here? We have. Um, I'm taking her class, memoir writing class. Uh, it's going to be on Zoom next weekend uh, because I've of, often thought about writing a memoir, or whatever. There's it, the, the world's most boring memoir. <laughs> you know, but, I just call myself a dull tooth shark. So yes, I know yeah. what you mean. But uh, I've 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 wanted to kind of learn how to get started, and I've heard so many great things about Lori's class, and so. I'm going to take it online. And actually, my wife uh, was very kind and for a Christmas present, uh, rented a cabin for me with Wi-Fi to go up and take this class without interruption and and, 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 uh, silence. Well, hopefully not silence, but, uh, you know, where I can be alone and actually, you know, pay attention and then, you know, 
do any of the work uh, that we get assigned, you know, during the class at the same time. So that was pretty, pretty cool to my wife. You married well, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Well, tell Mandy I say hello, all right? I, I will do that. I just, I, you know, because I remember running into her many, many, many years, well, not that many years ago. It's, I don't want, women don't it like it when you say things like that. Like, they're like, well, how old do you think I am? Like, I don't, 20, 27? <laughs> <laughs> 28 i don't know but that's a very that's a very very cool gift and Lori, who has been in this very room uh in the smart start mn studio she is i mean i always knew she was bright and obviously i've heard her music but her god she's razor sharp man she's yeah. so good so i'm sure her class is going to be fascinating yeah, it'll it'll be great i love the book that she wrote her memoir you know about mm-hmm. pedals pedal pusher but uh a lot um but she wrote this article or this uh column or just a piece for the new york times when when she drove her son uh off to college the first time and yep. it's just it, i mean i don't know it's just uh, just grabs you by the heart and you know i've read it several times because i liked it so much when she was in here she's like you should try your hand at writing i'm like i've tried my hand at writing i can talk i can't write i'm shit <laughs> at writing so she's like no no there's just some things you need to know i'm like yeah no i look i'll write you a check some other time but today is not that day aaron it's good to see your face man good to see you too thanks for having me in here gladly uh anytime in fact we'll absolutely have you back uh before we go sean we do have to thank nate and his entire crew over mm-hmm. at audio quip somehow that guy's maintaining his sense of humor despite global pandemic not being able to run a proper business given what it is that audio equip does which is provide audio equipment to people and armed insurrection in our nation's capital he's still holding on and he might need to get me a new microphone so there's that not that microphone man there's something else up over there you you need to you know what we need to find the Lori lindine of those buttons that's what we need. I like that idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm a, as as a guy who stands there behind a microphone a lot uh or has anyway uh i always blame i always I suspect the cord first i always suspect the cable first yep it's probably the cable that's probably it we'll get to the bottom of it for sure though before episode 123 <laughs> i'm also the guy who's always wrong so <laughs> <laughs> sean thank you very much thank you that was right. fun thanks to everybody thank thanks you, to all of our Amen. patreon members aaron thank you but you're not quite off the hook yet because we have one last song i always ask guests to pick two or three songs you've chosen three and you've chosen a great one for our outro song here i'm assuming uh i'd be foolish to assume otherwise especially since i know you're a fan you've seen the documentary yeah i have i have and do you share everyone's sort of effusive praise for the bg's documentary i do i do uh and i've seen a lot of footage from them before in there and because i just i love them and same at some point in my youth when i realized they weren't just the disco era bgs and i love that stuff too i do too that's an important distinction right there because a lot of people it was always sort of hip to blow off the bgs you go back and listen to a song like tragedy tell me one song that your favorite band not you but i'm talking to the greater mass out there tell me one song your favorite band ever wrote that holds a candle to fucking tragedy yeah it's it's great right um, love you inside and out off that same record is great mm-hmm. but that 60s stuff that we're about to get into here right. uh, that I, when i started to hear that and realize oh this is the same band that did how can you mend a broken heart but then there's all this other stuff from 1967 forward and they were prolific i mean they had a couple records a year for a while there for- a ton and, and i don't think people realize that like it's one thing to want to be like the beatles but to have the actual ability and talent one of the great things that I saw in that documentary was listening to, even though he's kind of a jerkwater, Noel Gallagher of mm-hmm. Oasis saying, they're three brothers. When you have people who are related singing harmonies together, 
that's not something you can pop down to the shop and buy. There's there's nothing else like it. And he was right. And Noel Gallagher's kind of a jackass. So I I hated agreeing (laughs) with him so much. But, I mean, that was just one of many points in that documentary that I found spot on. Yeah. And uh, speaking of jackasses, uh, (laughs) Chris Martin comes. Chris Martin was also in that. Wow. And I don't know if he's a jackass or not. Uh, He, uh, I, I like their band. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah i i like the band a lot uh-huh. and, and but he was talking about songwriting uh and in a way that makes sense to me and i think a lot of other writers and I, I thought maybe we'd talk about that today but the time was so fun it went so fast we didn't but the idea that uh you don't necessarily sit down and write a song you it, it's kind of a gift that you get from you know the spirits or whatever a melody comes into your mind and and you realize it's like hey this is something you know, it might not have any words yet or anything, but this is something to, to that I can take this this gift and I can maybe now take my brain or whatever, I, my experience, whatever, and kind of turn it into something. Maybe a couple more gifts will come along the way. But he, he described it much better than that. Um, and, and hearing the Bee Gees talk about the way some of the songs came to them um, during this era here, there, there was a specific one about uh, New York mining disaster, 1941, how the, the power went out in the building and they... Um, it just kind of, the melody kind of came to them. And then the idea of, you know, I'm pretending they're in a certain situation, just like little brothers would, if the lights went out, you know, um, kind of cool. Aaron Seymour. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're going to wrap up this episode with the Bee Gees run to me. Thanks for tuning into the Brian Oak show. up your eyes to love